the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Another year has come and gone. And as we look back, the things that we realize is that the years always go by faster than we can keep up. For some of you looking back may feel that January 1, 2012 was literally just weeks away, but it was in fact 364 days ago. There were much-deserved vacations, birthday celebrations, weddings, and surprises. But there were also moments of pain, moments of divorce, of death, layoffs, betrayals. It may feel that this past year was but a mere memory, memories that end up stored in pictures and Facebook posts and Instagram. Memories, nevertheless, that we will never relive again. It was, in essence, life. The truth is that time flies. There is nothing we can do to slow it down. We can't stop it. It flies and waits for no one. It may not feel like 364 days have passed this year, but they have, and our bodies have taken notice of them. The year carries with it regrets, things we shouldn't have done, things we know not to have done, and sadly, things that we can't take back, things we wish we could take back. But there were also moments of brilliance, moments to be proud of, moments of triumph, and moments of defiance. As this year draws to a close, we can only look back, and you must choose whether you will grow from these experiences of 2012 or if you will allow yourself to wallow in bitterness. The choice is yours. You can take the lessons and grow, or you can wallow in self-pity because those things happened. When we celebrate and observe communion, what we are doing is simply living into the bigger story of Scripture, that where Jesus' ministry ends as a human, ours begins. I want to read to you from Scripture in John chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles or the Bible in front of you, John chapter 13. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, so if you want to just listen, that'll be okay too. This is the story. Jesus is sitting at the table or reclining as they did in the first century, and they're about, they're actually having Passover meal, which they did every single year, and Jesus decides to change things up. And this is the story. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Notice that he says he knew that his time had come to depart from, or at a family gathering, or at a friend's gathering, or at church, and you're wrestling with some stuff, and you know that some really difficult things have happened, and you know, you may, maybe you're going to have to deal with them in just a couple of days, or maybe something just happened, and you're feeling down, you're feeling depressed. How many of you have ever felt those ways, but then you have to kind of um, be fully present to perhaps a family gathering or a birthday party, or you have to put on a happy face to be at church? How many of you have ever felt that way? Yeah, we've all felt that. Most of the time, people can notice if you're going through something. Can we usually notice when people are going through something? And what are the things that we say to them? Hey, are you, are you doing okay? Hey, I noticed something's different. Something's off about you. We notice. So Jesus is going through one of these situations where he's in essence having to put on a happy demeanor, a calm demeanor, even though Jesus knows just hours 
The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, <clears throat> Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like, are you, are you really going to get down and wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, you do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean, and you are clean, though not all of you. So it's kind of this weird conversation that Jesus is having where Jesus is getting down to do a servant's job. Jesus, the rabbi who had 12 disciples, 12 students, 12 people, these men who followed Jesus around everywhere, who listened to every word Jesus said, who tried to memorize everything that Jesus had to say, we won't even dare to pray because we think to ourselves, God, I am unworthy even of forgiveness. See, Peter was feeling that same exact thing. He was saying, no, I am not worthy of you, rabbi, teacher. He was a son of God, but the disciples, they didn't really fully understand until much later. And yet he flips the script and he washes their feet. And so verse 10 says, For he knew, Jesus knew, who was to betray him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do done to you. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if your Lord and teacher have washed you, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, Servants are not greater than their masters, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Let me break this down for you. Jesus says this, one of you will betray me. What does the Bible say? Does, Je does it say that Jesus only washed 11 disciples' feet and the one to betray him? He no, it says after he had washed all of their feet. How many of you have ever been betrayed? You don't have to raise your hands because I know happened to all of us. How many of you have ever been hurt, have been felt like you have been stabbed in the back? That happened to Jesus. Does Jesus, does Jesus say, well, I'm going to get back at you, or vengeance is mine, right? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? Does Jesus invoke the power that he had in the Old Testament? No. When Jesus was back by one of the 12 disciples, does Jesus seek revenge? Or does he do the opposite, and instead of seeking revenge, Jesus gets down and washes his feet? I think one of the lessons that we learn in foot washing and why we do it as a Seventh-day Adventist church isn't because we're crazy, peculiar people. It's not because we're a cult. Crazy for Jesus. <laughs> what Jesus does in this moment of, of truth, in essence, 
He could have gotten back at Judas because he knew he would betray him, but instead Jesus washes his feet. There's a lesson in that. There's a lesson in that no matter what other people do to you, it doesn't change who you are. That no matter what others have said or done to you, you must continue to live a life that reflects Christ in everything. Is that easy? No. Do we want to be nice to the people that have hurt us? No. We want to ignore them or get back at them, right? Or talk behind their backs to other people. And yet what Jesus does is, I'm going to wash your feet. When Jesus could have exacted vengeance on those who would betray him, he instead shows love, forgiveness, and embraces them. It's not just because he was Jesus. But what he was doing is that he was changing the way he wanted his disciples to treat others. He wanted his disciples, and in, in essence, all of us who followed after them, he wanted to teach us that the way to change the world is by love, forgiveness, and acceptance, regardless of whether the other person deserves it. Because Jesus forgives you whether you feel you deserve it or not. How many of us have ever needed forgiveness? How many of us have ever felt a human forgive us? How does that feel? It feels like weight has been lifted off your shoulders. How many of you have ever not been forgiven? <laughs> the heaviness that that feels that you have to carry with you, the guilt that it brings. And what we find is that Jesus says, I have forgiven you of everything you've done. At the cross, Jesus forgives you. That is God's act of defiance against sin. It is at the cross that Jesus says, you don't have to lay your life down for the sins you have committed. It's at the cross that Jesus says, all of that stuff you've done, forgiven. It's done. Forgiveness. It's why we sing praises and glory and honor to God because he has forgiven us because God didn't act like us and hold a grudge, but rather God lets go of the grudge and he says, I've forgiven you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you will do. I've erased it. When we celebrate communion, what we're doing is that we are accepting God's grace, God's forgiveness. Not because it happens when we take this. Nothing magical happens when you eat the bread or drink the wine. Nothing magical happens. It is just a tangible symbol that is a reminder of what God has done for us. Church is a tangible symbol of what God has done for us. When we come here, we are reminded that we are forgiven. Any church that preaches judgment or condemnation is preaching heresy because the Bible tells us that God takes care of sin once and for all. At this moment, we're going to break for a few moments and we're going to do what Jesus did is wash his disciples' feet. Now, you don't have to wash everybody's feet. And if you're visiting, if this is new to you and you think, wow, this, they told me about the Seventh-day Adventist church, they are crazy. I promise you nothing crazy happens. You, you go with your wife or your husband or your children or your mom, a friend or whoever, and we go in one of three rooms. Um, the, the patio outside is for the men because we like men to be cold. Um, the corner room in behind the patio is for the women. If there's just one or two women, you know, women will be back there. And then this room right here is for families and couples. What we're doing when we're foot washing is we're literally having a small basin of water 
and we just wash one another's feet, the person you go with. We do this because it's a reminder that Jesus is calling you to serve others. Jesus is calling us to love others in such a way that we would even get down and wash their feet. It's a ritual that we follow. It's one that we do because it's one that stays in your mind. It's a reminder. And it's not just what we do here, but it's for all of you to remember that Jesus didn't get revenge for what Judas did. Jesus still washed his feet regardless of what had been done to him because Jesus shows us that real love looks beyond all of the pain and the suffering and the betrayal. Jesus shows us through the, through the ritual of washing one's feet is that all the bad that has been done to you cannot destroy you and does not have the final word. So at this moment, if you'll go um, look around if it's your first time, if you don't feel comfortable with that, you can sit here and we'll all be back in about seven and a half minutes. But if you want to, you can stay. You'll see. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we'll break for that now. When, when you come back, by the way, when you come back, we're going to ask you to sit every other row if it's possible so that when our deacons hand out the bread and the wine, it'll be easier for them and they don't spill it on your, on your Sabbath best.